Take your Bibles open to 1 Samuel 17. If you follow along in the app, the scriptures actually are not going to be in there. I'll give various ones. You can take notes, look it up. As uh, you know, I don't want to take the time to read the entire chapter of 17, albeit the uh, story of David and Goliath is filled with little uh, intricacies and different things that uh, uh, are are certainly encouraging and strengthening, and uh, uh, and so I'd encourage you to do that on your own time. Uh, but uh, I will bring some very specific ones out, and I wanted to go here mainly because for me, when I was in Israel, there was a moment where uh, we were taken to where the battle of David and Goliath took place, and I reached down and I grabbed these five little stones. And as I looked at them in my hand, the Lord just spoke to me and he goes, look at those stones. There's one of distinction. And I went, great, what does that mean? The Lord didn't say anything further. And so I walked back to the bus. But then I just started meditating on it, saying, okay, Lord, there's a reason that you you spoke to me about that. Um, but, you know, the, the number five and the fact that David, he reached down and got five stones, it's significant in Scripture. All numbers are significant in Scripture if you, if you do a dive there. But the, 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 um, the word five is used over 300 times in Scripture. And in the Hebrew, uh, the, the word for five is uh, directly related to the fifth uh, letter of their alphabet. And uh, throughout Scripture, keeps coming back to this place of God's grace. And so, for me, that was a moment of grace where the Lord sent me on a path to understand the stone of distinction. And so what I want to do is kind of just walk through the story of David and Goliath for a moment, because uh, it's, 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 it's a significant story. In fact, when Clarissa and I were in Paris and we went to the Louvre, that they, there's one particular painting, actually it's two particular paintings that I threw up on the screen here, that is, uh, when you got to, from the side, it's like this. So on one side, it looks one way, and on the other side, it looks the other. And it's a depiction of David over Goliath getting ready to uh, lop his head off. And uh, uh, it, it just speaks of uh, the, the magnitude and the impact that that moment has had throughout history. And for me, it was a, was a, it was a real powerful uh, picture uh, depicting a, a moment that was significant for Israel and has been significant for people throughout the ages. So the story of David and Goliath comes around uh, the Philistines coming out to, to, to defend some area that they had gotten back. There was 40 days where you had the Philistines on one mountain and you had the uh, Israeli army on the other mountain. And there's this valley in between. And, uh, and while it's not straight across, there's, it still uh, is a place where they could actually hear as Goliath would come out and taunt and do his little things here. And, and one of the things that I found and, uh, as they were having this 40-day standoff, I'm thinking, okay, why on earth are they just trash-talking for 40 days? But in order to understand why it was 40 days and why they were just trash-talking and why it was only Goliath out there is you have to understand that Jonathan had really led the armies previously to really defeat the Philistines and pretty much put them on their heels. So they were, they were not exactly confident about heading into war at this moment. In fact, they were just confident enough to send their, their biggest, baddest guy into that moment of battle. 
And so he's out there, and, and Goliath, depending on the translation, would be anywhere from six foot six to nine foot six uh, uh, tall. So uh, based on the, the other things, I tend to think he probably was, uh, you know, nine foot tall because he actually had a T-shirt that essentially uh, weighed 150 pounds. His helmet, which was basically a bronze bucket, weighed 30 pounds on his head. And then he had a spear that also weighed 30 pounds. And he's out there, and he's not out there by himself. He's got a armor bearer that was in front of him. Had this big old, you know, probably five foot, six foot tall uh, shield that he would go into battle with Goliath, and it would be used as a defensive measure to protect. And so David, as you read through the scriptures, you find that David basically is coming out to the front lines being sent by his father to bring the essence of cheese and crackers to his brothers and their, and their leaders. And the reason he was bringing cheese and crackers to his brothers and their leaders is because he, his dad wanted to make sure that their commanders would take good care of his kids. And so David's out there and he's feeding them and, and he hears Goliath taunting the armies of Israel. And he starts asking around. But it's interesting he, what he asks. He, he asks, hey, what does a person get if they defeat Goliath? You ever found yourself in a place where you're kind of just wondering, what do I get if I do something? That's exactly what David was doing. In fact, he went around to multiple people, and two things happened in this. One, uh, his, his older brother, he just starts totally busting his chops, saying, hey, you've just come out here for the show. You just want to come out and see a, a, a movie where basically we're all going to get killed. You came out to look at, look at all the blood that's going to happen. But other guys heard and went and told the king. And you might even say that what really was happening was a bit of good gossip, and so they go and tell Saul, and Saul calls for him, and, and he just gets the points of clarification. I, you know, if I go do this, what do I get? Now, why am I spending so much time on his motive here? Because it's important that you understand that in our own humanness, when we read stories like David and Goliath, we give way more credit to David than we do God. And David was a guy that had his own motives. He wanted something. And so... As he goes along, you find that he is more than willing to do what it takes. But, but, but Saul, he, he goes, well, you got to go. You can't just go out there the way you're dressed. You got to put on some good soldier, uh, soldier equipment on and he gets them all weighted down. And David's like, I can't do it this way. And he takes it off and he goes into the battle, not with an armor bearer, not with a sword, not with, you know, a bunch of armor to protect the chest, but just with a staff and his sling. And the scripture says that he, that he goes and he picks up five stones. Now, I've heard it said that they picked up five stones because Goliath had four brothers. How many of you have heard that before? Now, let me present another opportunity. Is that he well knew he could have missed the first time. What divorces us from stories like this is we get an elevated view of a person that we personally cannot attain. And because of that, we never have our own stone of distinction. David picked up stones that were a lot bigger than this. In fact, they believe that based on the, the archaeological finds of that area and the way the, the battles went, that it was probably at the minimum golf ball size 
but more likely baseball size. And that when that thing was twirled and it was let loose on one end, that, that rock that's a size, we'll say a size of a baseball, could travel 200 yards at 60 miles an hour. And know that when that lands, it's going to cause some damage. It actually didn't kill Goliath. That required him taking his head off. But it knocked him out, and it scared his armor bearer, and he was able to do the job. But I want to stop for a moment because it wasn't until David made the decision to pick those stones up and do something with them that something changed. And as I'm telling this to you, I want you to always see stuff like this through the lens of igniting change. Until you choose to bend over and pick something up and do something with it, in the name of the God that you serve, you're not going to have a stone of distinction. And in the, in, in the Dallas area, in the Bible Belt, and especially in, the, in Texas where it's just so common, we see people who are really quick to profess their faith. And we're supposed to profess our faith. The Bible says that we are, we're supposed to say, I follow Jesus. Jesus is my Savior. We're, we're professing our faith. When you profess your faith, you're using your words. And there, are, there is no shortage in the places we live of people who are willing to profess their faith. But what you find when you analyze and look at their life, they do not possess any faith. The moment you reach down and you pick up the stones, you're not just professing faith anymore. You're now saying, I possess faith. And how change gets ignited, the way you have these moments of miracles, and we should all have them, is when our faith not only is professed, but it is possessed. Say those two words with me. Okay, ready? Okay. We start by professing our faith. Profess. Say that word, profess. But we're also supposed to possess our faith. This is what James talks about when he talks about, you know, the, even the demons believe. There is a profession of, of the God of the universe and Jesus being our Savior, and, and we, need to pro, we need to profess that, but we need to possess a faith that's active. We need to possess a faith that actually is going to accomplish something, which is why the five stones are so important to us. How many of you, when you've professed your faith, you hit the mark the first time? <laughs> I can think of a gazillion times where I needed at least five stones. Again, when you, when, you, when you all of a sudden go, wait a minute, the Bible doesn't declare that when he killed the lion and he killed the bear, that it was like the first shot. We assume those things. Now, we know he got him on the first try. But it very well could be that David was going, well, if I miss, I've got distance and I got another shot. And I think that when we go from just professing our faith to now possessing our faith, we've got some distance. Now, I want you to think about some things that the Lord has you looking towards. It's not right up in your face right now. It's off in the distance. So you're saying, I'm going to pick up and I'm going to, I'm going to begin to, to do something here. And I'm going to believe at some point, 
my faith, which is representative of the stone, is going to hit its mark. And it's going to do what God intended for it to do. And this is really kind of the connect because this is, this is, this is not the, the, the American gospel here. I want to show you what this story reveals here where we, we get it wrong. We think that, that boy, if I'm, just, if I'm doing like, like David did, if I'm, if I'm not just professing my faith, but I am possessing my faith, I'm going to live a life of health and wealth and, and wonderful. It doesn't work that way. You're going to be disappointed. But what we do have to believe is this, that miracles clear a path for God's people, enabling them to advance. This is what we've got to do. The victory that the Lord will bring you to in, in, in literally possessing your faith where it can hit a mark is not just about you. For 40 days, they were back and forth. There were skirmishes, but they were back and forth. But the moment that David possessed the faith to let the rock go, it was no longer a standstill. And I, whenever, it doesn't matter what movies you see, it's, it's, the David and Goliath story is always true. The devil always lies. Because Goliath, what did he say? He said, okay, if you win, we'll serve you. If we win, you'll serve us. But the moment Israel won, what happened? They ran, right? The devil always lies. And so, so but what it did is it opened up. It filled in an army with the courage to step out and go after and bring victory that was always intended. And so what you find in verse 50 and 53 of that chapter, I'm going to read it to you. It says, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, took the sword out, drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath to the gates of Ekron. So the wounded Philistines fell on the way of Shereim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistine and they plundered their camp. It opened. But I want you to get this. This didn't start by somebody going, getting up one morning and going, I'm going to go kill a Philistine. No, he had his own motives. And sometimes when we're sitting and we're doing this over analysis about our own motives, God is actually trying to use our motives to position us for his victory. It's what Proverbs 19 says. That many of the plans are the righteous, but the Lord's plan prevails. And so David's out there. And, and as he's talking, he gets motivated when he finds out he gets Saul's daughter. All right. He also got excited when he found out that his family wasn't going to have to pay taxes. But what you find is that Saul used his daughter to try to kill David. And while he finally got Michael, Michael ended up getting lost to him as he fled for his life and was with somebody else. See, that doesn't align to some of your gospel. Well, David should have got everything he was promised. He was forgotten about. His family didn't have to pay taxes until David became king. Yet, or paid taxes until he became king. 
So if you believe that, all I have to do is to get the, 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 my place of faith to hit the mark and my life is going to be, everything's going to be okay and wonderful? Uh-uh. You still have to fight for things. Because God's primary and first motive is not your comfort. I know, man. Aren't you glad we all ministered at the communion table first? He's looking for people who will possess a faith that will open the door for God's people to advance. And that's what he's looking for in us. So how do we possess that faith? Let me, let me walk through this quickly as we took a lot of time in the ministry portion today. But we gotta, we, it starts by us, we've got to grow in God's grace. That's the, that's the starting place. For David, when he's before Saul, here's what he says. He said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear would deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Do you ever find it funny that here David is declaring that God will do it while he still had to walk out and pick up the stone, sling it and throw it at the enemy? David had a baseline. I, I really just, in place of prayer, struggled with this, saying, okay, Lord, help me to really just get this part. And it was really convicting for me because, because for David, and, and for me some of the time, maybe for you some of the time, we hopefully get to the place where it's all the time, David's launching place. David's, the, the, the thing that he stepped on was the fact that every part of his life was by God's grace. Okay, I think that I can pinpoint God's grace, but I think I am convicted oftentimes in my time before the Lord where he goes, boy, you think really highly of yourself there, don't you, Rich? Because I think it's me and not God's grace. There's a satire video that just, just went viral on TikTok. This girl gets on TikTok, and it's totally satire. Don't believe this is true, but it illustrates a point where we're at in our culture. And she said, I, I sued my parents for not getting my permission to make me. That is the polar opposite of recognizing grace. When we think we deserve, when, when we are the center of our world. But for David, everything was by God's grace. When he picked up those stones, his thought process was, God, if you don't do this, I'm in trouble but it's by your grace that I live anyway. And so I'm not afraid to step out. So when you, when you just do a quick survey of your week, how much of your week was by God's grace? Or, and then you can insert your own name, I'll do mine, or how much it, well, how much it was by rich? Or by the devil? Or how much of it was actually by God's grace? I would submit to you, your whole week was by God's grace. The fact that you got up out of bed was by God's grace. Now, some of you are going, yeah, I'm old enough to know that whenever I get out of bed, it's by God's grace. Listen, that's been true since we've been little kids. And so we've got to grow in that. But here's the other dynamic of that story. We have to grow in the gifts that God has given us. Because David didn't just step out here. He said, listen, I already, you know, Saul's like, you can't do this. You're not, you've never fought a Philistine. He goes, yes, I haven't. But I fought a bear and I fought a lion. And you got to get this, what God trains you in private, he'll do in public. But if it's not being done in private, it's not going to happen in public. 
And so stepping back, and, and this is the, one of the advantages of age, is we're able, to, we're able to look back on our life. We're able to, to survey the activity of the Lord in and through our life, and we're able to recognize points and, and repetitions where God has done things by his grace, and we recognize that he has specifically gifted me in that area. David was extremely gifted with that sling. And so he was able to step out. So what has God gifted you with? If you don't know that, you got, that's a place of growth. I got to step back and say, God, what, what, where can I see where, and watch this, where in private, where, where the world doesn't know the stone hit the mark. My faith in you was expressed. So oftentimes what happens is people begin to recognize that and then, and then the Lord elevates them in, the, in, in their job. I pastored long enough to see oftentimes it's in the job and they get, they get so caught up in their job, they forget that it's, they have that even by God's grace. And so the, the whole focus of the gifting is for worldly things rather than, than godly things that result in earthly things. Say amen if you got that. But then I think the, the biggest thing for us to grow in, and it comes with the whole grace thing, is we have to grow in God's grace. It's the recognition and this, this, this recognition that the things that we have achieved in life, we've not done because we've pulled ourselves up by the bootstraps. We declare that it's by God's grace that something has been accomplished. The lady by the name of Renee Swift says it this way, self-confidence has limited potential, but God-confidence has unlimited possibilities. As a number of people I prayed for over here, I, I just, I, and some of you will recognize that these were the words that I used. I just look at your life and I see a world that's big, full of faith. That's God confidence. Now we'll always struggle with our own confidence, but God confidence. So we grow in the God confidence. How do we grow in the God confidence? Well, we grow in the God confidence very simply by, by, by saying, constantly in God's word and praising him and worshiping him for the things that he's done in private. Saying, God, you've done this. But we also have to watch out for something that's throughout this story is that people who will come and try to steal God confidence. David's older brother, you're just here to watch the show. King Saul, you can't do it the way you are now. You have to be different. Goliath, looking down on him. All these things are attempting to take away the God confidence that's to be in each and every one of us. But I want you to get this about God. And I, at some point, I'll do a, a sermon series on this whole thing because it's gonna, it, it, I think it's going to challenge some of you. Do you know there are certain areas in, in, in a very positive, beautiful thing that God has constrained in your life? Oh, I mean, how could God ever be constrained in my life? God is constrained through his promises to you. I want you to get that, that the promises that he's made to you about the things that you are believing in him, in, he's not going to go outside of that. He's constrained to his word that he will fulfill the promise that he has set before you. And so you can take that by itself and grow in confidence that these are the promises that God has given in my life. And so with that, now we gotta, now we, we have to actually go, okay, there's the stone. Now I'm gonna pick it up and I'm gonna do something with it. That's the go piece. Worship team can come because I'm not gonna take long here. But I think where, where we're at in our, in our place with the Lord, this is where we've got to rely on the access 
to the Heavenly Father. That we need to, to make a choice to sit before God and talk to him about his grace. Where we've got to, we've got to make a choice this week to not only talk to him about his grace, but talk to him about our giftings. Just allow the, the, the things of this world to get set aside and just maybe, maybe take a piece of paper and write down the areas that you've seen God use you. Where nobody knows about in the world. Where, where you, didn't, you didn't get to write a book over it. Where you didn't get to, to become YouTube or TikTok famous over. But you know that God did something. Because what he does in private, he's eventually going to want to do in public. But we got to identify it in the private place first. But I think for, for me, I, this, I spent a lot of time here. I, I got to just repent. Because... It's easy for me to, to look at the victories of, of the past, and I love telling faith stories. I love telling where God did this and where God did that, because the implication in telling those stories is that he did it through me. Boy, aren't I a wonderful guy. So I got to repent. I got to say, Lord, I, I humble myself. I, I may have been the one that that stepped in and was obedient, but it happened because of your grace. It's by your grace. And so here's the next thing. Where you access, here's what I want you to do. I want you to start to advertise. Two things I want you to advertise. You ready for a little statement this week? I want you to just keep track of how many times that you just say to somebody, it's by God's grace. It's by God's grace. It's by God's grace. Say those words, by God's grace. Boy, I tell you, you're so blessed at work. It's I'm married to such a beautiful, wonderful, awesome wife, which is all true. And it's by God's grace. And if you lived in my home, you know that to be true. It's by God's grace. And so we start advertising God's grace. And when, the more you advertise God's grace, you're just building the foundation that God wants you to launch everything off of. His grace, His grace, His grace. The second thing that I want you to do is I want you to tell someone what you're believing in, what you're, what you're believing God for. Here's, here's, here's what the enemy has put in front of me, and he's big. He's big. But God has said, I'm to go there. Now, why do that? Because that takes your faith from just being a profession to possession. Because, because when, once you tell someone, they understand that you understand there's going to be an action somewhere in there. So I hear if, if you've just, this is not a spiritual thing, at least not yet for me. When our dog dies, I'm not doing dogs anymore. I've, of course, I tell you, I've said that to everybody. I'm just advertising that time and time again. Why? Because I love dogs. I could have 50 million dogs if they didn't all mess up the backyard with their stuff. But the more I tell people, the more what it does, it holds me accountable. And there's going to be a moment after I get over the tears of the dog dying where I'm going to be tempted to get a dog. But if I advertise, everybody else is going to expect what? No dog. If we get a dog, it's on her. Because I'm not. Because the last thing that you're going to do is that the Lord at some moment is going to call you to advance. And he's going to say, now you possess that faith. Let's let her rip. Let's let it go. Because it'll hit its mark. And, I'll, and I'm going to say this to, to 
someone here, I think the Lord just really has a specific, and I, I wasn't sure if to tell the story. I just want to, before I tell you what exactly, I'm going to illustrate something that happened with, with David. And it happened to me. And before I tell the story, this is not how I got my white spot. And please don't go, now we understand you better. When I was in the seventh grade, I was playing first base at lunchtime. And someone hit the ball. So I remember at second base, third base, shortstop, whatever. And I reach out to catch the ball. And the guy from home plate launches the bat through the air. And it hits me in the side of the head. Now, obviously it didn't kill me but it absolutely knocked me out. And when David hit Samson, or when, when David hit Goliath, he had to take the head off. And whether it's one person or another of you, that the Lord is going to have you hit a mark, and he's going to say, now you're over it, it's time to kill it. Don't ever let it come back again. I don't know what that means for you, but those words will come back at that moment. And the Lord says, take the head off. It no longer is going to be able to taunt you. It's no longer going to be able to control you. It's no longer going to hold people back. But because you were willing to let your faith go, that you possessed in this moment of obedience and advanced, that thing can be killed. But I think broad for all of us is when we do, whenever we do that, expect the doors to open and many others to follow. And so Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, that you're calling us to not just profess our faith, but possess our faith. And Lord, I pray for a ministry anointing to just to flow today uh, in this room so that, Lord, we would grow in your grace and that, Lord, we would grow in our gifts. And Lord, we would grow, Lord, in, in our confidence and our God confidence so that, Lord, we are unafraid, unashamed to, to move forward in the areas that you have us in Jesus' name. And if you plan on doing anything that I said today, say amen at some point. Amen. Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.